Amen. Well, for those of you on Facebook and live, um, <laughs> I guess uh, it's just a guess as to when we'll actually go live, because the Lord will do what He wants to do in our worship. And God is so awesome. Amen. God is so good. And I, I want to explain just a moment, a little bit more of the declaration the Lord had me declare earlier. And, and, and I, know, I know just for those of you in here, most of you is, is who's going to understand that. But I remember when we started, when the Lord started to teach us about warfare, I remember this just barrage of things that would come against us and him teaching us how to deal with it, right? Teaching us our authority, right? When, when, uh, when you become a Christian, you just don't automatically know your authority. Just like you don't automatically know how much God loves you, you feel something, you recognize him and his son as your savior, but you don't, you don't come into the full understanding of what that relationship is or how much he loves you or your authority and all that. That takes building. That takes what the Bible calls sanctification. What we call relationship. Right? The more you get to know him, the more you build relationship with him, the first thing that happens is you begin to realize how important you are to him. How much He loves you. How much He gave to purchase that relationship with you. The possibility of that relationship. So it's the same thing that in learning our authority, well, authority over what? Authority over what comes against God's will in our life. And the Bible, we, we've gone through this. You can, you can watch different series on this. I, if, you're, if you're curious about it, I would suggest a spiritual warfare series. I think, I think that was two years ago that we did that. And that was, by the way, just a few months after a lot of this started. Maybe two and a half, three years ago. But I, I've noticed a trend where you start out on defense... You learn how to deal with, with the enemy or your opponent, whatever you want to call it. You, you learn how to deal with their offense against you. Because what, what do they say in, uh, in football? What wins Super Bowls? Defense. Right, the Denver Brown. I mean, defense. <laughs> right, defense wins Super Bowls. Defense wins overall. Why? Because if you can protect what you have, then it affords you the capability to go forward and to begin to learn offense. See, if all you have is offense, then what it becomes is a shootout. You ever watch those football games? Sorry that I keep 
it's football season, so you're going to have to put up with a lot of this over the next couple months. But you ever watch a football game where, where it's like, oh my goodness, 49 to 47, and you know, it's just insane. No punts in the whole game. You know, it's like, go down, score, go down, score, go down. There's no defense. There's a lot of collateral damage that happens in that. So in the Christian's life, what does he teach us first? He teaches us defense. He teaches us, first of all, that please recognize you have an enemy out there. Wow, that that just spoke to 90% of the church right there. If they would even get past that first hurdle to recognize that there is an entity out there that wants them to fail. If they would just get that in their brain, they would begin to understand that God has all these things in line for them to teach teach them not only how to defend themselves, defend others around them, but then literally go on offense. Why do you think in 2,000 years, why do you think in 2,000 years, the bride has never been ready. Well, first argument would be, and, and it's true, well, it wasn't God's time yet. I agree with that. But it's not just that. Because what has been held back is the authority that was given 2,000 years ago. When it, What do you think the Bible means when it says you will have authority to step on snakes and scorpions. Now, I don't know about you. I wouldn't mind stepping on a scorpion. Because pretty much my boot can cover his whole body. But I'm not going to step on a snake. Because what if I don't get close enough to the head? Then it can turn around and bite me. So do you think the Bible's talking about real scorpions and real snakes? And I know, please understand the facetiousness in my voice. No, of course not. Of course not. It's talking about that which would come against you in the spirit realm. That which would come against you and manifest in the physical realm. See, it's not like they just stay in the spirit either. It's, that'd be nice if, well, you know what, I'm just going to stay in my physical realm so they can't bother me. Wow, that's the church. If I ignore it, it's not there. If I ignore it, it, it can't hurt me. If I could just stay on my path and do my little list of things that I know to do because the Bible tells me to do it, then I'm good. Wrong. And you know what? That may have actually worked for a while. Didn't work in relationship because you can't build relationship with the Lord that way. But it may have produced for a while a good life. It may have produced for a while a safe life. I think much of the church is safe. Safe from who? If the enemy is not trying to come after you, I want to submit that it's maybe because you're not doing anything. He's not going to waste his resources on something that is not a threat to him. But when you do recognize 
that there's an enemy. And this, this goes back to the original thing I was saying. The Lord then teaches you how to deal with that. Teaches you what you have in your relationship with Him. What you can build in that relationship. The authority that you have. He teaches you how to deal with it. And, and it's, it's kind of like you're on defense. If this is you, you're on defense, defense, defense. He teaches you and at some point it shifts. And you go on offense. That's happened for us a couple of different times. We've had the shift twice. And I know, I know a lot of people listening to this are not going to understand what I'm saying, but that's alright, you'll be back. Watch it again. You'll figure it out. And I don't mean to be glib. I really don't. But this is truth. See, the first one he taught us to deal with were demonic spirits. Demonic spirits are like, you ever play chess? They're like the pawns. It's, it's, it's like Satan's like, yeah, I'll get rid of that one. I really don't care. i get rid of that one. They, they mean very little to him because in actuality they could do very little. Now I know that we think they're big and bad and strong and all this. In reality, understand what a demonic spirit is. A demonic spirit is a disembodied spirit that at one point was human. Did I just... Do you understand what I'm saying? If you, want, if you want to understand what a demonic spirit is, a demonic spirit is straight out of Genesis 6, where the sons of God, in other words, the fallen angels, and there were, there, not all of them, but there were a specific number of those that came down, and they slept with the daughters of Eve. They slept with human women, and they had offspring. Okay? In Genesis 6, it calls them the Nephilim. Right? You've heard that. And there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about that. That's not where I'm going with this. But understand that just as Jesus was born of a woman and born of the Holy Spirit and was purely righteous, right? He couldn't sin. He, 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 he was man like we are, but yet he did not have the fallen flesh like we have. Do you see what I'm saying? Just as that, think on the opposite side. Everybody here has heard stories about, about even today. And, and, I mean, well, don't look them up, but you've heard these stories where somebody who is, who is either a, um, a Satan worshiper or somebody who believes that, you know, aliens are real. There's another one for you. That, that they had they had sex with them and had a baby. Okay? No different than Genesis 6. Understand that that child in Genesis 6 did not have a redeemable spirit. They were not redeemable. Okay? When the flood came, which, by the way, that's why the flood happened in the first place. You know, if, if you wonder why... It said, why, you know, why, why Noah was saved? Well, he was righteous. Well, no, he was sinful. 
if you look and see what it says after that, it says he was perfect in his generations. There was a bloodline that was perfected in him. He had not been tainted by what was going on in Genesis 6. So, I didn't mean to get off on this, but, but bottom line is demonic spirits are disembodied spirits. They have very little authority, very little power, except what we give them. And one of the, one of the ways that they get in to try to gain authority is fear. Fear is an easy one for them. Why? The Bible says fear is a spirit. When we give in to fear, we give in to that demonic spirit. So that was the first one that the Lord had us deal with and taught us how to deal with. And and that one, in in reality, is very easy to deal with. The Bible is very clear on how to deal with it. You don't have to deal with these things. You, you You can learn how to defensively... Defend yourself, but then you can also go on offense with them. That was the first one. The second one was what the Bible calls principalities. That's different. Principalities and powers. You know, if you look out of Ephesians 6, the, the, the difference is a principality is a physical and spiritual being because it's an angel. Remember, God God, he, he created all the angels, but a third of them fell with Satan, right? A third of them chose to fall with Satan, to believe him. That third of angels, they still are angels. They didn't lose their power when they fell. They didn't lose who they are when they fell. So dealing with an angel, a fallen angel, is different than dealing with a demonic spirit. By the way, anybody who thinks that there are men from other planets that, that fly here and, and we call them UFOs, okay? I, I just want to submit to you that fallen angels, they can manifest human. They can manifest however they want. And, and, and so in dealing with this, in dealing with fallen angels, is different than demonic spirits. And the Lord began teaching us that. Okay, well, they they are more powerful. They have a greater capacity to come after us, and we found ourselves on defense. And then there became a shift. And that shift put us on offense again. And I, I I want to say that was probably a year and a half ago. And that was the second one, that he taught us defense first, then taught us offense. The third one is human spirit. This one confused me, guys. It confused me because I never thought... I mean, I, I, I knew about witchcraft. I had seen it. I understood it. I just didn't understand how they could come after people. How they could come after us. I didn't understand that. And, and by the way, there is a protection there. As you build relationship with the Lord, there's a protection there for things we're not aware of. Do you understand that? If you are a babe in Christ, it does not mean, man, boy, by next Monday, you better understand all this or you're in trouble. No, there's a protection for you. Why? Because you are in his arms. 
You know, the Bible gives us a picture. When we accept Jesus Christ, he puts us in, in, our, in the middle of his hands like this. But then the picture goes on to say, then the Father puts his hands around Jesus' hands. You think anybody could get to you? No. That's what the Bible says. Nobody can get to you. So as you're building relationship with him, there is a protection on you based on what he is teaching you. Now let me, let me give you a warning though, because, okay, well if that's the case, I don't want to ever learn anything. I'll just stay ignorant, stay here, and just go about my business, and I'll just be protected all the time. I want to warn you. First of all, it doesn't work that way. You know, you ever, you ever meet a 50 year old still living at home? You know, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not healthy. But more than that, you can't pursue God's plan for your life without stepping out and trusting Him. What do you think the warfare is about? I, I, I can imagine from God's perspective, He's like, if you only knew what you have in me, if you only knew what I would do through you, you wouldn't be afraid of this. In, in fact, you, you wouldn't even be backing up anymore. You'd be moving forward. You'd be going after it. Why? Because they hate me. That's what he would say. Looking at what you are. And, and so there's no way to retreat from his plan for your life. It's a choice. I either choose to walk in him... Or I choose to walk in my own way. So it, it's, it, you can't have a mix of both. You can't stay in your own way and, and receive the protection. Why, why do difficult things happen to even Christians? It's because we all live in sinful flesh. Satan is the prince and power of this air. He can go to court and he can ask to sift whomever he wants to. And he takes evidence there to do that with. He did it with Peter. He did it with Job. The whole book of Job is about Satan having the right to sift Job. And, and we know, we know Jesus said to Peter, same thing. But it, by the way, it wasn't just Peter. It was all twelve. If, if you read the passage in Luke, it, it says all twelve. He asked to sift all 12. It's just Jesus singled out Peter. Why? Because it was on Peter that he was going to build the church. Right? So it's a choice to go after him in relationship. But what he builds in you is this defense and then offense. I remember when we went from defense to offense. For both of those times, it was very specific to me. It's in my journal, which I didn't even journal until four years ago. We're at the threshold for the third one. We're at the threshold for the third one. For this witchcraft that would come against Ignition Church. This witchcraft that would come against this nation. 
We're at that turning right now. See, God has shown us how to defend ourselves. But see, now he's teaching us that you understand those weapons of warfare that I give you out of Ephesians 6. Those are intended to be offensive, not just defensive. If it were defensive, then our armor would be this heavily clad stuff and we just kind of stand in one place and this armor all over us. And they can't touch us. But no, it's not what it is. Ask anybody who has the gift of sight who has seen different people's armor. Ask Shannon. Right? The, the armor is movable. You move in it. It is defensive, yes, but it is also to be offensive. Where you go on offense against the enemy. Sitting here this morning, the Lord revealed to me how that shifting, there will be a specific point. We're in that time frame right now, but there will be a specific point where this third level of warfare shifts, and it's going to happen this week. So why does God do this? Why, Why do we have the tagline, an army rising up? Just because it's cool? It is cool. cool, True. (laughs) But is that why? It's because, well, we like, I mean, I mean, technically nothing against the army, nothing against Navy, nothing against Air Force, but if it were me, I would have said, we're a Marine Corps rising up, right? No. It's not that. (laughs) Amen. Right. I said that for my dad's sake because Christmas is coming up. (laughs) no in reality it's because he needs to raise an army up to be offensive against the enemy the the enemy has been winning for years winning what winning souls it's not about the souls guys You can go out and you can evangelize your whole life and get people saved and that's awesome. But if that is all you do, then you've missed the mark. Because you've given them less than 1% of what is literally due them if they reach out and take it. So he had to raise an army up and is raising an army up all over the world that understands that relationship in Jesus Christ is not only where our defense comes from, but where our offense comes from. And the enemy, it's time to leave. It's time to be gone. It's time to leave this place. Do you know one of the things the Lord gave me early on? And and this was, I don't know, Four years ago, or almost four years ago, early on, he told us where we would be, and and we know one day we'll be in College Square. He gave me the vision of a tower there, a seven-story tower that is only for prayer. And it's not like some little tower, it's like a skyscraper. You know, I mean, it it was offices and, and conference rooms, and each floor was for one of the seven places we're called in the United States. But he told me from that point, which which was in the dead center of College Square, he told me from that point, take a map and draw out 30 miles. 
holding, you know, it almost like take a string with a pen, hold the pen on, on that, that, uh, that prayer tower, draw it out 30 miles, and then do this big circle. And he said, that's my base. He said this almost four years ago. He said, I will purify that base. We're to go out and we're to pray at the walls. I don't know when. He hasn't told me yet. But we're to pray at the walls to release these insane warring angels to stand guard at the walls. And when that wall is complete, then we begin, He will begin through us to cleanse this area, that 60 mile radius. How do we do that? If we're defensive. I mean, you just walk down the street. Come after me. Come after me. Come after me. That's silly. If he doesn't take you through a process of understanding how to defend yourself spiritually. And then how to then go after the enemy spiritually. Then it's not really an army, is it? More like a barricade. We have great defenses. Nothing can get inside. How'd that work for those cities in the Old Testament that siege was laid against them? Not so well. Why? Because, see, they needed the resources from the outside. We're to be in the world, not of the world. We need the resources of this world to function in the world. Now, what I mean by that is not You need to dabble in a little bit of sin just so you could be in the world. But no, you cannot shut yourself off from the world so tightly that you have no way of being on offense with these people. And that's what the church has done. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. Why did God do this? Why did He teach us Defense and then offense. Why does he care? It's all explained in the latter half of chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 7. And Father, just speak through me. Your words, Father, not mine. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Wow, we could stop right there and speak for hours. But let me keep reading. Otherwise we will. I'll go back to that. Verse 9, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved the world, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Which, by by the way, let me make a quick comment there because I know know sometimes I've had seers tell me that they saw the Father. Please understand that that's at least... I believe that's a manifestation of the Father. Because the, 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 
The Bible says no one has ever seen God and we cannot see God. We, we cannot see the Father. We could see a manifestation of Him. The one time I was allowed to be before Him and see Him, I, I saw his, his feet up to about below His knees. So no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Boy, you just cut out about 80% of the church right there. 80% of the church that, and, and I mean the global church, that doesn't believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is for today. You, 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 just, you just cut out about 80%. Right there. Because it, we, it says we know we abide in Him and He in us. Why? Because He's given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever, verse 15, confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in us. So we have come to know and to believe that, that I'm sorry, believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. You know, each of us, saved or unsaved, you're going to go before the judgment throne of God. It will either be the judgment throne of the Father at the great white throne judgment, or it will be the judgment throne of Jesus, which is the Bema seat, which is, and we've talked about this more, more like an awards ceremony, but either way, there will be, there will be judgment that we face where, where our relationship with Him is judged, is laid out. Where was I? Uh, 17. By this love is perfected in us at the uh, confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear. And memorize this one, guys. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. How many in here this past week were afraid of something? I mean, everybody, pretty much. We can all look and see something in our life that, that either we were anxious for, we were scared of. And by the way, that, that, that term fear there isn't just that, that uh, you know, someone jumps out of the closet and boo, you know, and you're scared, right? It, it's, it's more of an anxiety. It is a worry. It is a fear of something not happening, or perhaps a fear of something that will happen. It says, what casts that out? What casts that spirit out? Because remember, fear is a spirit. What casts that spirit out? Perfect love. I love how, how he added the word perfect in there. That, that word there in the Greek is really completed. Completed love. It's a completed understanding of who you are and how much he loves you and the completed understanding of what, how much you love him. See, it boils down to a confidence. 
I have a beautiful wife. When we go to a dinner party or, or whatever, um, you know, we, we, we would, used to a lot more, but when we'd go to a political event or, or business event or something else and, and, you know, the, you're, you're at this dinner party and you're talking to people and saying hi or whatever, you, you, you tend to not, it's called working the crowd, right? You, you don't, sometimes you'll be together, but you tend to work apart, especially when we're in business. You know, we're, we're working the crowd separately. I have a beautiful wife. Okay? So I could live in fear that someone was gonna pick up on her and get her to like them. I could live in fear of that, or I could live in the confidence of my relationship with her. See, that's not something that was built in one day. But over time, a trust was built. An openness was built. A communication was built to where I, I, I see that. And, and it's hilarious because sometimes, I used to do it more, more before, but sometimes I'd sit and, and just watch if she's talking to people and, and I'd just sit there and watch and I, it'd just crack me up. Because I'd be like, good luck. You're not getting anywhere with that. <laughs> kind of made me feel good. <laughs> uh, yo, yeah, mine, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. But I have a confidence in that relationship. I know because of our one-on-one time together, because of our talks together, because of the of, of literally what we have built together. Through that communication, I have a confidence in my relationship with her. So I don't have to be fearful of that. I don't have to be anxious of that. Right? That's a, that's something learned. But it's the same way with Jesus Christ. See, when the enemy comes after us, we have to recognize we don't have to put up with that. We don't have to. We can learn in our relationship with Him, God's perfect love. What is the one thing Satan doesn't understand? Love. So throw love at Him. Man, if somebody comes up to you and they're just angry, or they hate you, and you recognize the spirit behind that, how much does it throw them off their game if you just tell them you love them? It's like, what? Yeah. Why? Because perfect love diffuses all of that. Perfect love is, is what He wants to build in each one of us. Perfect love is what casts out that fear, casts out anything that would come against us. But I want to go back to verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not no, God. Let me look up a second. The word there for no is gnosko. It's to know absolutely. That's the Greek word there. To, to know completely. Right? So anyone who does not love God does not know completely or understand completely who he is. 
Why? Because if you know Him, if you completely know Him, then His love will permeate through you. Why don't we see this in the church today? It's because the church is so hung up on their credentials of going to heaven. They say, well, I, I've got my credentials right here. It's kind of like it's, it's I, I just got my, my concealed carry permit, right? There. This makes me a good shooter. This makes me a great sniper. This makes me a person who can handle a gun perfectly. Is any of that true? No, of course not. These are credentials. That's all it is. That's all it is. You being saved, you accepting Jesus Christ into your heart, is simply a credential that opens up a possibility for you to have a relationship. Where are the real credentials? It's in the abilities. The real credentials of me being a sniper would be that I went to sniper school. Would be that I knew how to handle all these different weapons. I knew how to, how to stay in complete stealth in places that anybody could see anything. It takes training. It takes time. If you're hanging on your credentials of being saved, you're wasting your time. Because God wants so much more than that. And He said, He said right here, if, if, if you're not seeing love displayed in your life, there's your first indicator that something's wrong. So, so what is that? But you know what? Let's go to, 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? Let's see what love is. What this display of love is. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. What does that mean, by the way? It's benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. When a, when a person comes to you and they have a need, it's the benefit of the doubt. You listen to their need, but then you begin, the Lord's going to give you ways to evaluate all the other things in a person's life, but it believes what's good for that person. If, if, I, if I were to, to, let's say, look at Casey, I have to believe that God has everything planned for Casey. 
I believe in the good that he has for her. And by the way, I do. <laughs> if I didn't, I, I, I couldn't be a help to her. So literally, my love is displayed with her by saying, I believe what God has for you. I believe. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then, and then Jesus goes into a little bit different subject there, different use of it. But understand that love is not saying that you love. And, and this is so much of the church today. We love the world. We love other Christians. If, if, if you want to know that that's true, then well, come on into our four walls and we'll show you. How sad is that? Because you know what? You're not going to get the world into your four walls. Jesus said, go out. Jesus said, go out. And the very love that he wants to display in our lives is the very result of relationship with him. If you're trying to do this thing by learning some principles intellectually, I just need a few things to kind of live my life by and then I'm good. Boy, you picked the wrong time to live. I'm telling you. Because that ship has sailed, guys. God is not allowing that anymore. He is, as he has said many times now, he is drawing a line in the sand. You're for him or you're against him. So what he wants is that love to be displayed in us because that's what defeats the enemy. The enemy can't, that's the one thing the enemy can't do anything against. So in the, and I'm, I'm going to close on this, but in, in this relationship, what the Lord is, has just been laying on my heart so heavy the last few weeks, in this relationship that we build with him, See, we see what Jesus did on the cross. And, and I, would, I would assume that everybody would recognize what an amazing sacrifice that was. For him to be beaten, whipped 39 times, for him to be hung on a cross for something he didn't do. We look at that and we're, we're in awe of that. But do you understand? That was only a portion of his sacrifice. And that was probably the smallest portion. Death had to come to give us life. But the suffering was not in the hanging on the cross. Do you know, and this is an extraordinary thought, 
what the Lord laid on my heart. I, I think I mentioned a portion of it on Tuesday, I believe. I can't remember, but... It's hard to really imagine what the father lost in all this. Because it says he gave his only son. You know, and the Bible says that Jesus, you know, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Or not Jesus, the son of God. At that point, he wasn't, hadn't come and become a man yet. So, so you have, you have the son of God with God the father who were equal who were equal. And yet the scriptures say Jesus humbled himself, or the son humbled himself and became a man, became Jesus. Do you understand that when he did that, there was a loss permanently for both of them? Do you understand? It didn't, it didn't all get repaired when Jesus rose from the grave, the, the, the difference is between them now. Why? Because he is a man. He is still a man. He will still be a man. He said, he said when he rose from the grave, he said, my body is as yours will be. Talking to his disciples. So what he took on in being a man did not stop when he rose from the grave. The Father paid a price that is ongoing. I want to share with you one more. Let me figure out where it is. Revelation chapter 20. Okay, this is... After the great white throne judgment, verse 15, it says, And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is where Satan and the two beasts were thrown in. All of the dead were brought out of the sea. All the dead were brought out of the abyss and judged in the great white throne judgment. All of those were cast into this lake of fire. Okay. Now this lake of fire is what the Bible calls the second death, the final judgment, the end all, it's done, finished, complete with those who did not accept Christ or, or believe in a Messiah. It says that they were thrown into the lake of fire. And then I want to, where is it here? Oh. Chapter 21, verse 4. And people get confused. They think this happens the second we go to heaven, and it's not. Where he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. See, this happens after the new heaven and new, new earth are created. Okay, and I want you to get this because this is a pretty heavy thought. And you may need to, to just really think on this and stuff. But, but understand that it is not until that point that the Father wipes every tear. If you have a loved one 
that didn't accept Christ and goes to hell. Do you think at some point you, on your own accord, would stop hurting for them? No, I don't think so. When he wipes every tear, one of two things happens here. And I'll tell you which one I believe. Either there's an understanding that of this, of this righteousness that befalls all of us, all of the sudden, to where that's not even an issue anymore of caring for those. And I don't believe it's that one because of the nature of God and the nature of love. Or the other thing that's a possibility, and this is what I do believe, is he wipes it from our hearts. He wipes that that very, whether it be a memory or anything, he wipes that from our hearts. Okay, that makes sense. That certainly agrees with other scripture. Do you think God forgets? No. See, the Father takes that on for eternity. Do you, think it, do you think it crushes him when somebody does not accept his son? And they go to hell? You better believe it. It crushes him more than anybody. It crushes him. Listen to this. And this is a difficult word. It crushes him more than it crushes Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said, I have not lost any that you gave to me. Talking about the twelve, except the one that that was prophetically destined to do what he did, the betrayal. So the Father, and the Father alone, takes on the burden that we carry now about those who do not come with us. He takes that on for eternity. When, when he shared that with me, I was undone by that. To recognize that what rips at his heart the most, he will take away from us and carry that entire burden for eternity. He loves you. He loves me. The first point of building relationship with Him is recognizing that fact and letting Him teach you what love is. Every head head bowed and eye closed. I want you to look at your own life and evaluate. Would other people look at you and say that you love? If this were your last day on earth, and what would they say about you tomorrow? Would they say that I saw love in that person? Would that love be agape love, which it says there in 1 John? This unconditional love. 
Or would it be more of a of love that is based on certain conditions like what I'm comfortable with? Or what is set within the boundaries of how I've decided to live my life in this religious system. That's a tough thing to evaluate. But it says, if we don't know love, we don't truly know God. So if you want relationship with him, this is where it begins. It's learning what love is. Learning what he wants in your life, in that love. Remember, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Father, we worship you and praise you. I pray, Lord, that your foundation of love permeates each person here this morning. Your cry out in the word that was given through Alexis toward the end of worship was exactly this call. It was a call for love. Will we respond? Please, Lord. We will. In Jesus' name. I just want to make uh, one quick point that I... I'm so thankful that God has us in sync with things that he lays on our heart. He's really been laying warfare on my heart for the ladies. And I mentioned this downstairs, um, but uh, one of the ways I think that, that Satan is able to lie to create complacency in the church is with this feeling that if we don't engage fully in our relationship with God, i.e. warfare, that somehow we will be okay. And somehow we can avoid the pitfalls and the troubles. Because you often hear that, well, yeah, so much came against them. You know, they're a warrior, but boy, do they fight the enemy. And they did this, and boy, they fight. And there is this subliminal lie that gets introduced to us that says, well, then I'm just going to pull back on that. You know, kind of like if, if, if this could even happen, I'm sure it happens, the football player that is reluctant to join the team, and would kind of rather sit on the bench. He wants to be part of the team, but don't put me out there. Don't, don't, don't have me in the starting lineup because, man, those guys get hit. They get hit. They may have victories, 
but they get hit. And I don't know that I want to, I don't know if I want all that kind of issues to deal with. And one thing that I, I want to remind you that we talked about downstairs regarding this issue is there are two kingdoms. If you read in Matthew 12, 24, you, you, that's one of the places that the kingdom of Satan is talked about. We know there's a kingdom of God. We know there's a kingdom of Satan. And you are automatically at war when you accept Christ as Savior. You're automatically at war with the kingdom of Satan just by joining the kingdom of God. There is no middle place. There is no middle ground. And so whether you fully engage or not, do not be deceived that you will be as much desired to be hated, killed, destroyed by the enemy as anyone else. It perhaps at a different degree, but... And one of the examples that I likened it to in the, in the ladies class was if we are at war, the United States, if we are in active war and, and to some degree in terms of, of our history, we are and have been, but let's just say that we are at war with New Zealand. Okay. As an American, if you are in that country, just because you are an American, you are considered an enemy combatant. You are an enemy because we are at war. And so whether you decide, hey man, I'm all about peace, man. I, I just, I'm not into that. I got no beef with you. That, that won't matter to them. Are you an American? Are you a U.S. citizen? Because your kingdom, kingdom is at war with our kingdom. And so we have to be careful to not think that there is a place of middle ground. And I think that is where the enemy is able to lie and to cause us to think that we can somehow take on passivity as a place of rest or chill and and somehow think that we're really not engaged in the army we are and of course it's the sad example there are so many but um i think it's autumn warbeers this is the name of the young man that went over to north korea and or stumbled into north korea whatever the exact story is and look at how he was treated for being an american when it comes right down to it they didn't like anything about his attitude and who he was because of just being an american and essentially was tortured to death. And um, only with the new administration, his, you know, he was brought back and it was too late. But I'm telling you, you can still be a casualty of the warfare, even if you decide to not fully engage. Because as a believer in Christ, you are still part of that army. Amen. So don't be deceived into thinking and thinking that retreat is somehow an answer to avoid the attacks of the enemy. He hates you and wants to see you destroyed. But the, the most amazing thing about all of this is that God's kingdom reigns supreme above his kingdom. And every time I see the kingdom of darkness at play, it is an opportunity to see the difference in the power of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. There is no match. There is no match. He is an overcomer. We are overcomers in him. That is why you see those precious verses, one of which, again, in First John that I love, is in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Not just don't freak out. Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Amen. So we are overcomers already. So we can literally be and walk in joy. And I know that it was just a little faux pas, but the tower, the seven-tiered tower is is. One each floor in the where we are in the world, not in the United States. He accidentally oh, said the United States. And he, I know he meant the world, but I yes. thought I'd correct that for anyone online that has never heard that Perfect. before. Um, I have just one <clears throat> announcement that the Lord's laid heavy on my heart. There are many, 